Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. All right, guys, we're back with episode three of our bow building series with Lancaster. Episode one, we were with PJ, and we talked about pulling your bow out of the box, making sure that it's all to spec, setting your draw length, how to find your draw length, and how to find a draw length that's going to be comfortable to shoot. Episode two, we were with Andrew Hughes to mount all of our accessories onto our bow. So here I've got my bow with all the accessories mounted up. Now we're back with PJ to cover all of kind of the technical work of getting this bow to shoot. So we're going to tie on a peep sight. We're going to tie in, uh, we're going to tie on a D loop, tie in a peep sight. We're going to center shot the rest. We're going to make sure the bow is timed right. We're going to make sure this bow is ready to shoot. So Guys, this is a very informative episode. I hope that this will be an episode that you save the link to. And anytime you go to set up a bow, you can tune in right here and PJ will walk you through how to do all of it. So guys, stay right here and I hope you learn something new. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by. Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start than right now. So let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. Guys, it is not often that a product comes around that is just a game changer. I introduce you to the paper tuner from papertuner.com. This is a game-changing paper tuner design that is designed from the ceiling down to help you tune your compound, your recurve, your longbows. Best news of all, it's going to take up zero floor space and it only costs 75 bucks. This is engineered so it's easy to use, very quick to set up and take down with magnetic quick disconnects. It takes you a couple seconds to hang it up, to shoot through your paper, and then take it back down and hang it back on the wall, taking up zero room in your garage, your shop, your basement, wherever you're tuning bows. There's no bulky equipment. It's easy to use. It's fast to use. It's going to cost you $75, and everything that you need to hang it and use it is going to be in one box. It took me about five minutes to hang this initially, and then it takes a couple seconds to put it up and take it down anytime I want to shoot through paper. Guys, if you do any kind of work on your bows, or if you just want to ensure that your bows are shooting as good as they possibly can, I would highly, highly encourage you to get a paper tuner from papertuner.com. It's the best design I have ever seen for a paper tuner, so I would highly encourage you, papertuner.com, go pick one up. Very easy to set up, very easy to use, zero floor space, very quick, very effective. And one of the coolest parts, in my opinion, all around the frame of the paper tuner, it's got what you need to see to know how to move your rest or how to tune your bow in order to take out the tears that you are getting. Guys, go check out papertuner.com. It's a phenomenal design. It's going to change the way you paper tune your bows. Papertuner.com. Get yourself a paper tuner. All right, PJ, so we've got all of the accessories on our bow. We have done all of the okay. work, and now we're ready for the fun stuff. 
So what are you starting with now that you've got a rest on the bow? The fun stuff. The fun <laughs> stuff. Walk us through it, man. What, yes. First off, what all do we need? What do we need to get started with all this stuff? Okay, so you're going to need some type of serving material. Um, now, I'm going to use this for two purposes. The main purpose is going to be for tying in the peep sight, but I'm going to use it for something else as well. I use power grip. That's uh, a BCY material. Uh, that's what I like. Um, you're going to need that. You're going to need some D-loop material. Uh, there are two basic sizes. There's a 23 and a 24. 23 is going to be a little um, smaller in diameter, and it's going to be a little flimsier. That's what I like. 24 is going to be a little thicker. And it's going to be a little stiffer. Bow hunters especially, I think, tend to prefer that 24 just because it's super easy to hook up to a D-loop. I just like the... Um, uh, the material that's a little more floppy that comes from target shooting. <laughs> but I'm going to need that. I'm going to need a lighter. Um, I'm going to need my peep sight. Going to need some sort of cutting. You know, I got a razor here, a knife, whatever. And then I have two things here. I have what's called a safe draw uh, because I am going to be drawing this bow back. I'm in here in... Um, our video studio where we do not have a target. So this is going to allow me to draw back the bow and the release cannot fire. Now, what size on the, on the serving material, what size do you prefer on that? Cause there's tons of sizes, uh, in serving material. So for a peep site, uh, what do you prefer yep. on that? So this is power grip. This is nine thousandths. That's the size that I have. Um, you know, it's just if you, I don't like much thicker than that. And that's mainly for the second application that I'm going to use this for, which is I'm actually going to tie on a knock set before I put on my D loop. So I don't want to go much thicker than nine thousandths for that. So I've got 16 thousandths. Is that? So you would not recommend doing soft knocks with 16 thousandths? I don't like that. Uh, that just gets uh, a little bit bulky, in my opinion. I, you know, I just like a little skinnier material for that. It's personal preference. It's actually not, it's not going to hurt anything with it being th thicker than that. But I like to do about three, uh, wraps with this material here and so if it's three wraps with a thicker material you're almost double the thickness of mine that just extends how much you know that's going to make my d-loop gap wider just so if you were using a thicker personal material, preference which why i have the 16th so i'll tell you why i really like a 16th is tying on knock sets for my recurve it's a, it's a more prominent knock, so I can actually feel it, you know, when I side my hand up. Yes. Um, so with using a thicker a material. A recurve for sure, I would use thicker. Yes. So with, with a thicker no, material. No question for a recurve bow, I would use the thicker material. On a, on a soft knock, would you only do two wraps rather than three if you're using a thicker material? You, yeah, probably. I mean, perfectly honest, I would just find thinner stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, there you go. That's a good answer. Because then, too. I, like I said, then, yeah, then, like I said, I like the thinner stuff 
for also for the peep site as well. Yeah, um, absolutely. I just like it. For me, I think it tightens down a little better. Again, yeah. personal preference. Very cool. All right. So now that we've got everything on the bow, what what are you doing first? Okay. First thing. Um, so I have, I used, chose a whisker biscuit. And so what I'm going to do is I want to find where I'm going to tie on my knock set. And I tie my knock set on the underside of the knock only. And then my D loop uh, will touch the knock on the top side. So I only tie on one knock set. And the reason that I do that, quite frankly, is if I have to change out my D loop, I don't have to start from scratch on my center shot. I can, I will still have my bottom knock set there and then I can just tie on a new D loop. I don't have to go back to square one. Uh, also, it helps with knock pinch. So folks who use D loop materials only, um, sometimes, especially the thicker, especially that 24, uh, BCY, you, what can happen is you can start to have some knock pinch in there, which raises your hour up, causes accuracy problems, et cetera. So knock set for me serves dual purposes, but what I'm going to do, and I am, I'll admit to being uh, old school as far as this goes, but what I'm going to do is eye it up in terms of getting my arrow level. So what I want is I want my arrow to run. There are these two holes in the rest area, in the shelf. So I want my arrow to come through the rest, and I want my arrow to run right through the middle of those holes. You can see them right there. So... Obviously, then that gives me my knocking point is how I set that. So I'm just going to, well, first I need the length of material. So how do you know why you do that? How do you know if the rest is the right height before you even start? Like what if your rest is way too low or way too high? So it, once you put the arrow in there. So the, this, uh, whisker biscuit, I have one of the V biscuits. This one does have vertical adjustment. Some of the whisker biscuits do not have vertical adjustment. And so you just get them level. And that's what you got to work with. Any of the drop away rests, uh, they're all going to have vertical adjustments as well. So this one has it. So to start, to get my rest position, you know, I just set it in there. I can hold my knock in place and I can see that my arrow is running right through those two holes. If it was underneath, I would raise my rest up. If it was over top, I would bring the rest down. So I'm setting my rest height based on me eyeing it up, looking to make sure my arrow's level and that it runs right through those two holes. Now, one thing to note too on so a that's drop how I away, get my rest position to start. There's a there's a reason that my uh, my my limb driver here. This is the propel. My limb driver is not tied in yet because I want to set my knock. I want to set it with the arm up, and so that's just easier if you don't go ahead and if you went right. ahead and tied that down. That's going to hold that arm down. So just don't tie that in until your knock is set. That way, I'm working here with an arm that's already up in position. Um, so Correct. what, what different would you do? Would you do anything different so far 
if you were shooting a drop away? No, the drop away, you know, as you mentioned, with a limb driven, your arm is going to be up in the resting position. So same thing. I'm just going to line up my arrow, uh, set the knock on the string, eye it up, see what if it's going right through those burger holes. If it isn't, you know, then I can elevate or drop the launcher on your um, on your propel. You, you have the ability to move that launcher up and up and down. And again, we're just eyeing that up. We're going to make fine tune adjustments later. Yeah. So here's a good um, example is on mine. Like I said, I haven't set that rest yet. And so that's that rest is too high. So I need to lower the rest down because my arrow is somewhat level, but I'm above those holes. So I want to drop my rest down before I start trying to tie on a knock set. And with those dropaways too, there are, you know, again, that's a starting point, those burger holes. If I, the, I've had dropaway rests that I had to start out set up a little bit higher than that because when they fell, they contacted the shelf. And yep. so that makes a clanking sound with some of them. I don't like that. I want it to be quiet. This is for a bow hunting setup. So if I have to elevate that a little bit to eliminate that noise, I will. Now, I'm not going crazy. <coughs> Those burger holes are there for a reason. You want to stay within contact of them. Like you don't want them sitting completely on top of those burger holes. But whether it's towards the top of them or towards the bottom of them, that can be impacted by your rest. So we set up a whisker biscuit and, and I mentioned a limb driver. However, that still doesn't have any timing issues. So how do you set up a drop away um, in this whole process, you know, to tie in, to get that to, to function well? Sure. <clears throat> so... Let's say we're using a uh, cable-driven rest. They're probably uh, the most common. So what that's going to do is it's going to connect to your downward-moving cable. And that's always going to be the cable that is the closest to the handle. That's your down cable. So uh, ironically, on a string like this, our serving does not go all the way down. Generally, I'm going to tie in my uh, cable-driven rest about at the bottom of the grip. So I do not have any serving down there. So I would add a length of serving uh, about maybe an inch and a half long. Yeah, about an inch and a half long with the bottom of that serving section being about even with the grip. My cable, I'm gonna split the bundle, run my cable through there. Now what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pull it all the way tight. So from the rest to there, I'm gonna pull it tight. Then I'm gonna draw it back. When I draw that back, the cord for the rest is gonna pull through to the point where it needs to be at full draw. So once I get that, I can let the bow down. And now actually, before I tie that in, I'm gonna pull it just a tiny bit. I wanna, I wanna make sure that that thing is super tight. The cord is super tight from there to the rest. 
So I'm going to pull it, I mean, not even a sixteenth of an inch. I'm just going to pull it through just a little bit. And then basically what I'm going to do is tie a D-loop knot, one that as this cord pulls, it's actually making the knot tighter. Um, and so that's how I'm going to tie that for my cable-driven rest. Now, what for happens... For the limb-driven rest... Oh, now, what happens if, you know, you do that and then uh, it's too short or maybe it's too long, it's not coming up all the way, it's not, you know, it's coming up too quick, it's... How do you how do you tell all of that? So you'll know if what's going to happen is um, from that point, it shouldn't be too short. In other words, if I can draw it back when it's free moving and then I just pull it a little bit, you're not too short. I'd have to pull it through a lot and tie it for it to be too short. The way I described it, you won't have the problem with too short. However, if it's too long, what's going to happen is when you shoot, your arrow is going to crash into that rest and you'll hear it and you'll know. It. I <laughs> think I have one here. Had one that wasn't, I had an arrow on a rest that wasn't set up properly. Ended up chopping off the top of the vein there. That's because it crashed in the arrow. The rest did not drop enough out of the way. So something's going to happen. You're going to blow fletchings off your arrow. You're going to hear it. I, heard, you know, I didn't need to see the fletching. I could hear it as soon as it hit. It just crashed. Um, I could hear it hit the rest. Um, so that's if the cord was too long. What had happened is I hadn't tied it in yet, and it had pulled out a little bit. Um, so that's how that happened. Um, but yeah, that, those are the problems you're going to see. Uh, and like I said. I like to pull it a little bit tight because I have found with some of these dropaways, um, there's certain particular ones that that connection at full draw needs to be super tight or the rest doesn't drop out of the way. I've had issues, um, impact issues at the target. I just couldn't figure out what was going on. Having arrows were going all over the place, pulled that cord a little bit tighter, problems went away. So I, that's how I learned, man, on, especially on this rest, it's got to be super tight. Yeah. And so that is the same, you know, like we mentioned with a cable driven, um, I want to just pull that as tight as I can when I tie it. Um, so I'm just going to pull down on that. Um, yep. and you said you actually, you said you tie multiple like half hitch knots on a limb driver, correct? On a limb driven. Yes. So once you tie that knot, what I do is, is I'm going to pull that, I'm going to pull that through. I'm going to tie that as tight as I can, but that's also why you have that adjustability up, up here on the rest. So once I've tied it to the limb, I'm just going to loosen that, yeah. that set screw, tighten that down as much as I can then tighten the set screw back. Uh, because just like PJ that's said. On a limb driven, you want to make your adjustments at the top. A lot of people think they have to make it at the knot at the bottom. Don't make your adjustments there for tightness. Just get that secured. Make your adjustments up top. Whether you have a football clamp or like on the propel, it goes through a screw. You just want to pull that tight and then tighten down the screw. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so some of those limb-driven rests, <clears throat> you'll have a spring 
or uh, some kind of rubber dampener that is intended to kind of cushion um, that connection between the limb and the rest. So there's a little bit of give that's built into it. And so there you can pull it tight, but it's not truly tight because you've got that spring action. So with those, what I like to do is I'll tend to pull them down a little bit. In other words, I want to see that spring start flexing back towards me or on the rubber dampener. I want to see that rubber dampener starting to stretch. Basically, I want to take some of that elasticity out, then lock it into place. So now it has room to spring both ways. I don't want to pull it super tight uh, so that, you know, basically I'm straightening the spring out, but I want to give it a little more than just tight. Yeah, absolutely. That's to make sure, you know, that when you, uh, obviously the limb driven rest works in reverse from a cable as you draw it, the rest pops up and then the limbs snap it back down with a limb driven. It's pretty easy to tell if it's too loose because when it's at rest, your launcher will start to stick up. It doesn't go all the way flat against the uh, arrow shelf. If it's not sitting flat, then you need to pull it tighter. Which is why I'm so I'm so glad that Trophy Ridge came out with the Propel. I am a limb-driven guy. I yeah. like limb-driven rests um, for all the reasons that I that I used to say I shot a whisker biscuit. Um, you know, I can fix this in the field. I don't have to have a bow press. Uh, you know, to put it back through my cable, like on a cable driven, uh, I can fix this in the field. It eliminates the timing issues of, with that cable coming up and down. You pull it tight and you're ready to shoot. Um, so I'm really glad that Trophy Ridge came out with a propel. It's a phenomenal rest. So guys, if you haven't checked it out, I definitely would for, for a hundred dollar rest. You really can't beat that in a limb driven rest for a hundred dollars. So, um, that's what I was going to say. The the price point for that one, for a limb-driven, we really don't see that anywhere else. Yeah. So now that you have the rest set to where you want uh, to do, now that you have the rest mm -hmm. set to where when you hold the arrow, it's somewhat somewhat there, um, do, you, do you do any kind of leveling yep. on the arrow or are you 100% you know, eyeballing it? I'm eyeballing it. I'm, I'm old school. So I've found that I can usually get it pretty close. What's going to happen is it's irrelevant. Actually, uh, this having it perfectly level may be irrelevant. Paper tuning is going to dictate what we need to do because I've had yeah. situations where actually my arrow needed to be knock high to get the proper paper tune. So level is just a starting point anyway. So it, to, it, to my way of thinking, it doesn't need to be perfectly level. I'm going to fix that rest position once we go to paper tune. Absolutely. All right. So then what do you do now that you have it somewhat level? Okay. So I've got my piece of power grip uh, already cut here. And so I'm going to go, I have an arrow knocked. I'm going to go in. I'm going to do one half hitch. And now I'm going to tighten that down pretty good because I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to check. So there I can see I tied that too high. Well, okay, I only have one half hitch in it, so I can just slide this down the string. 
Okay, so once I get that tied on there, now I can go up, look at my arrow position, get that, I know that wants to be right there, into that spot, so now I can just tighten it down. All right, so I've got my position there. Just gonna tighten that down. Now that's gonna be my first wrap for my knock set. And so I'm just gonna do one wrap over top. I'm stacking these vertically going underneath each other. So I end up with three rows of power grip stacked vertically. In other words, you know, it goes down the string. There are three sections, three coils, one on top of the other. Just gonna do double that hitch. Now I've got that knock set where I want it cut that off and then burn down my ends. Okay, and then just double check it again. Yep, so you can see with me holding down on the knock, it's pretty level. That looks good to me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess it's gonna come out level, but now, that knock set allows me to frame my D-loop. So I've got my piece of D-loop material here. I'm gonna start with one end. I'm gonna burn that down, get a nice, you can see that nice bead on one end there. Make it even rounder. You don't want to go crazy and set it on fire, but it's meant to melt down. There you can see I got a nice mushroom. So I always start underneath the my knock set. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to lay my two pieces like this underneath. I'm going to tuck them in. I'm going to pull my upper end. And you can see how that mushroom piece just slid right into that, right into position there. So that is not going to pull through. Now, here's my knock set. I know we're talking about black thread on black thread, but my knock set is right above there. So what I'm going to do is put a knock in. So now I can set my other end. I'm going to come down. If you can, I don't know if you can see, but to do what we want is we want these beads to be on opposite sides. In other words, I don't want this not, I don't want this not to look exactly like this one and have that bead facing up. 
I want the bead facing down. That's how you get even pullback on the D loop when you're at draw. So to get that knot, I'm gonna take my tag in, I'm gonna go over, under, and through. Now, where I'm gonna position it is, as I bring it through, that low side is gonna contact the knock. And then I'm gonna set my D-loop length. I usually like a little bit of a longer D-loop. So I'm gonna have a little bit of material out here. I'm gonna go over top of my one strand, back underneath the bow string, up and over and down through. So you can see where I'm gonna cut this off is gonna be my mushroom, it's gonna be on the underside. You pull the top of the D-loop directly up against the top of that knock, but the reason you don't get knock pinch is because- I do. There's a gap on the bottom side of it. There is a little bit of give, if you can see this. So because the D-loop is, the material is actually touching it on one side of the knock, it naturally, creates a little bit of give, even though it's touching it. You can see it's touching it right there, but there is that little bit of give. All right, so right here's there. a question you can for you. see me moving it left and right. How does the person know if they're getting knock pinch? So how you're gonna know is when you knock an arrow, okay? When I knock this in here, it goes in, it fits nicely. I can go up here, I can see that it slides nice and easy. I go up here, it slides. There is movement in there. If you go to knock your arrow and you have to put extra force to go in to knock your arrow, that can be from pinch. Another way to check is to uh, when you knock an arrow, well, I'm not going to do it here because we're in the shooting studio, but you would just pull back your string just a little bit, like this much, and release it. That arrow should come off. If it doesn't, you have knock pinch. You could have knock pinch. You could also have too th uh, thick of serving as well. Another way you can know is that when you come back to full draw, if you see your arrow lift up, a little bit off the rest. That's caused by knock pinch. Um, so those are some ways that you can detect knock pinch. It's pretty easy to see, you know, if, if you're super tight, if your D-loop is tighter than your knock going in, that's gonna create knock pinch. Um, so again, that's one of the other reasons why I like to tie a knock set on the underside. Some folks tie two knock sets, top and bottom, you can do that. I just choose to just do one. Uh, I found that this seems to allow me to avoid knock pinch. Um, like I said, it doesn't matter so much here. If you have knock pinch here, you definitely will have it at full draw. But where it matters is at full draw, and you have to remember, at full draw, the string is compressing. So all of this is gonna press in. That's why you don't want to create a space where the knock has no movement at all. Because if it can't move at all here, it's going to get worse at full draw. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat>
So yeah, I've got that little bit of wiggle room right there. That's good for me. So now I can cut off my tag end. And just by experience, I know that if I cut it right about there and burn it, it's going to give me the D loop of the rights where I like it. Just going to flatten that out. Burn that down. I want to get it away. I want to burn my D loop. Okay. One thing I did forget to mention in the beginning in terms of tools are D loop pliers. And I grabbed three different sets here just to show some different features. Uh, these two right here are Easton's. And you know, you can see how these function, these uh, right here. This is going to be where you. That's going to be how you stretch your D-loop. On this set here, you've got these notches in. Set that in there, stretch them out this way. And what I think are probably the most common are the vipers. And what I will say, Dylan, to your point about knock pinch, setting your D-loop with these vipers will basically eliminate knock pinch problems uh, because the this space right here is going to be as thick as most knocks. Usually yeah. if you use this set and set your knock or set your D loop nice and tight, obviously if it's loose, it's going to, it can compress on you. But if you set, if you finish your D loop with these vipers, that should eliminate knock pinch problems. Uh, but anyway, so I've got my section there. I always like to start with these Easton's just to start getting my uh, knot here tight. And then what I like to do is just make sure that that is tight so it's not going to pull through. And then I can finish here. Now, I will tell you, I'm not going to really clamp down. So you can see where this grabs the string above my knock set and below the D loop, it's going to leave a little gap. But what I mentioned about, I didn't really crank on it to, I didn't really force it to stretch this out and get it super tight because we may have to spin it a little bit once we work with our peep sight. So I want to be able to maneuver that until we get everything set where we want it. Uh, but now you can see my D loop right there. Got my arrow in there, plenty of room. I'm not worried about knock pinch. It still looks good to me in terms of being level. But again, once we go to paper tune, we're going to set that. What are the most common mistakes when it comes to tying on a D-loop? What do you see people do, do wrong the most? So most common with the D-loop, quite frankly, most common is people tying them so that the two knots are facing up uh, rather than being on opposing sides. That's super common uh, to where they have that. Or um, tying them with a device. If I only used this set of pliers to get it, I could have my D-loop compressed pretty tight on itself 
which would create knock pinch problems. Um, so if you are, if this is the only set of pliers you have, you can absolutely do it. You just have to kind of pay more in attention. What I was told uh, to think of with my eyesight, I can't actually see it. So I go more, more by feel. But when, you're at, when your knock is in there, what you want to see is about two strands of serving. Two strand, one or two strands, you know, whatever you're more comfortable with. The shorter the axle to axle bow and the longer your draw length, the more it's gonna pinch in. So if you go with two, especially on a bow like this, 31 inches, I got a 29 and a half inch draw, I'm getting close to the specs. My string angle is gonna be fairly steep as compared to, you know, if it were a 35-inch bow, something like that. So what I like to do is if I look in between my knock and the D-loop, what I can see are two coils of serving. That's my gap. Two coil thicknesses of serving between the D-loop and my knock. If I have that, I'm not going to have problems with knock pinch. And that's not, you know, a lot of play in there, especially when I come back to full draw and get that uh, string angle sharper. Um, so two coils, I'm never going to have problems with knock pinch. If you feel that's too loose, you can go with one strand of serving material between the knock and your D-loop. So that is on the top side because on the bottom side, that knock is pushed up right against that soft knock you tied, right? Correct. It's up against there. And then when I look, there are two coils in between my knock and the D-loop. So if somebody tied on two soft knocks, if they did a soft knock on top and bottom, do you still look for any kind of space or do you just go right up against the soft knocks? Get yeah, no, I would definitely leave a little bit of space in there at rest. You know, if I were, if I were tying a soft knock in right here, I wouldn't want to be pressed up against the knock, pressed up against the knock. Yep. You want to leave a little bit of a gap in there. Perfect. Got it. Guys, I am a big believer in custom built aftermarket strings. Basically, the moment I pull my bow out of the box, whether it's a new compound, a new recurve, a new longbow. I'm going to be putting a custom-built aftermarket string on that bow. At Dominant Strands, they're going to be using high-quality fibers from BCY, like a low-wax 452X. The low-wax content and the special way that they pre-stress and pre-stretch those strings and cables make for a very, very stable set of strings. They're going to last longer, and they're going to shoot better. There's going to be very little peep rotation. There's going to be very little stretch over time. You are going to be a lot happier in the long term. You're just going to have a lot better shooting experience when you upgrade those strings to an aftermarket custom-built set of strings. Plus, you can customize them any way you want. Now, I'm also a huge believer in custom-built strings for a longbow or recurve. Why? Because coming from the factory, they're not going to be using the highest quality materials. 
They're not going to be pre-stretching those strings over long periods of time. Whereas, again, if I call up dominant strands, they're going to build the best set of strings for that bow. I'm going to walk them through what I want out of that string, what I want out of that bow, and they're going to build a set of strings exactly to spec out of the best materials for that bow. Guys, a custom set, the best string you could ever buy for your ring recurve or longbow, is going to cost you about 30 bucks. That is the most bang for your buck that you can get when upgrading your longbow or recurve. You're going to get an incredible shooting experience upgrade for just 30 bucks. So I encourage everybody, the moment that recurve or longbow comes out of the box, upgrade it to a custom-built string. Guys, the people over at Dominant Strands, they are unmatched when it comes to their customer service. You're going to call them up. You're going to talk to your string builder, the guy that's going to be building your strings. He's going to ask you what you're looking to get out of the bow. He's going to ask you about your bow. He's going to ask you about your knocks. He's going to ask you everything about your bow setup so he can build you the best set of strings for your bow. Guys, I would highly encourage everybody, no matter the bow, no matter the manufacturer, to consider upgrading your strings to a nice set of custom-built aftermarket strings. My boys over at Dominant Strands, they do it, and they do it very, very well. Their turnaround time is incredible. Their attention to detail is unmatched. Guys, give them a call for your next set of strings, and I promise you, you will be happy. So let's go ahead and move on to center shotting that rest now okay so what i like to do is i set my arrow in the rest just like that take a tape measure i'm going to put the tape measure against the side of the riser and now what is industry standard is i want to see the line for 13 sixteenths of an inch See if I can show you that one here. Um, so obviously, this is going to be 16 sixteenths. So we're going to go 15, 14, 13. I want this line running right down the center of my arrow. And so I come in here, and right now this rest is between 15 and 16. So I know I have to move my rest in towards the riser, which is easy enough to do on the whisker biscuit. They do have these lines up top here, which are, I believe, <coughs> Yeah, these lines are sixteenths of an inch, so I know I want to go about two sixteenths. So I can check that before I tighten it down. Okay, so there, thirteen sixteenths is right down the center of my arrow. I think I want to make a little adjustment. Yeah, 13 sixteenths right there. Now 
measure that or tighten that down. Now, what you'll notice, especially with these whisker biscuits, when you tighten it down, it lifts the rest a little bit. So I always double check just to make sure it didn't come in and it did not. So I am at 1316. Now, that is, as we talked about, Dylan, that is a starting point. When I shoot through paper, that's going to dictate if that's perfect or if I need to make little adjustments. One thing I think people should notice is that when you are making rest adjustments when you're paper tuning, we're talking about tiny, tiny, tiny adjustments, like less than a sixteenth of an inch. If you're getting paper tears, you're just making very small adjustments with that rest. Um, so, you, you know, some folks say, oh, it has to be 13 sixteenths. Well, you never know. You may have to move that a little bit just to get that perfect bullet hole. So for me right now, I would assume that I should be very close to getting a bullet hole with this setup. Now, one thing that it's I level do, to my eye, it's level vertically. And I know it's 13 sixteenths, which is where I want it for center shot. So one thing that I do and not to, not to bag on the way that PJ does it, but he did say he's old school. Um, I use a bubble, uh, on the tip of my arrow. These are like $5 at Lancaster. So, uh, I use a bubble yeah. on my arrow that way. I just know it's level. Um, but like PJ said, he does it the cool way. Um, I do it the cheating way. Um, and then I have a square. I always use this square. Uh, you guys can see that, that silver Sharpie mark, um, on that, on my, on my square. Uh, that way I don't have to try to count lines. I just, I put it in there and I'm like, Oh, yep. It's on the silver Sharpie line. So I've just marked on this square uh, forever what 13th, 16th is. That way, when I go to set up a rest, I slide it in there. And if it lands on that silver Sharpie mark, I'm at 13 16ths. A, it's really easy to see because it's a black square and a silver Sharpie mark. So it's just really prominent. So I can just slide it in and out with that silver Sharpie mark. Uh, so just a couple things to make it uh, quicker and easier on you. Uh, but again, these tools are all, uh, you know, everything that we've talked about, like, like PJ said, a lot of these tools make it easier, but they're not 100% necessary. However, if a tool costs me, you know, seven bucks and, and a bubble's five bucks, you know, uh, and it makes it so much easier, that's what I choose to use. So, uh, PJ, now that you have your rest set up, where do you move on to from there? Okay, so for me, I'm going to still stick with my setup. Now that I have everything set, I'm going to check my timing. Okay. So now let's, let's, uh, so with this, and this is one of those things where I, I'm going to, I'm going to now go back on what I said, because I don't have a drawboard. Um, so as PJ does this, after he shares, uh, how to check your timing, uh, I'll share my kind of cheat, cheat method for timing. So go ahead and, uh, walk us through the timing sure. of this. All right. So Dylan, what I have here is I have my last chance archery easy press. And what I have connected is the last chance, what they call their draw board. Um, it's not a traditional draw board, but it does the same thing. And so this is going to be what I use to draw back my bow. So what I want to do is draw back my bow so that I can see 
where the top cam and the bottom cams, when they are making contact. You can do this as well with a friend. If you draw the bow back and have the friend watch to see if they're impacting at the same time or if they are different. So this, but this is a real simple device that's just connected here. I have my safety strap so that if my D-loop were to fail, I have a backup device. And now what I'm gonna do Draw this back and now it's gonna be on the other side, but my draw stops are going to contact the cables right inside here. And I'm afraid you can't see it too well. It's right here is where it's contacting. So that one is touching right there. Okay. And down at the bottom, I can see that I am slightly off. So this uh, draw stop is not touching the cable while this one is touching the cable. So that tells me that my cam timing is off just a little bit. And so what you want to do in that situation is the cam that hits first, you want to add twists to the cable connecting to that cam. So for this one, you're talking about the cable that doesn't wrap all the way around the post, the one that just attaches right there, the one that we twisted in, in episode one. Yes, this is the cam where I had the draw stop impact first. So it hit this cable first. So I'm going to come over and I'm going to add twists to this cable. If it were reversed and if this cam, the draw stop hit first, I would tw add twists to this cable. Now it was, I don't know, I'm going to say it was a little bit it was right about a 16th of an inch gap. So I'm going to start out and I'm just going to add one twist to this cable. Now, SPJ makes those twists. I'll tell you what I do, uh, because he mentioned if you have a friend, uh, then you can, you know, that, that friend can, can look at your cams. I don't have any friends. So what I do is <laughs> I, you found that too funny, PJ. What I do is I video, <laughs> I video my bow as I, as I draw it back and I'm going to video it in slow motion as I draw that bow back. And then I'm going to take it and I'm just going to, you know, go into a, like my, my video editing app and I'm going to cut it to where I can look at the top cam and the bottom cam right beside each other in slow motion as they rotate. And then I just watch it. And then in slow motion, I can see as I draw that bow back when, when they're hitting and when they're not hitting. So um, a friend is a good tool to have. Uh, but unfortunately, I'm no normally setting bows up during the day here at my house when my friends are at work. So um, I normally just, like I said, video it and then watch those back in slow motion and I can see when they're hitting. So 
So I added a twist to my top cable. Um, and one thing, since we're talking about like, what are some things to watch out for when you're doing things like that is to always make sure before you do anything, make sure that the uh, cables are all in the right tracks. Um, it would be very easy for me to lay this cable, you know, outside of this track, which it should not be. Or when I'm working on this one, something else could come out of line. Uh, it could, you always want to check where it comes through the rollers. Um, so things can just get out of line once you disconnect the cable. So just when you reconnect it, make sure everything's in the right track before you draw it back. So I have added a twist. Now I'm going to hook back up to my drawboard. That did it. One twist. Both are impacting at exactly the same time. I'm watching one. I, since I started with the top, I just come up here, make sure that stop is touching. I come down and it is touching down here. So then I look at the bottom to make sure I didn't go the other way and make this one too fast. Then I'll come back and look at the bottom first, get it to where it's just touching, and then come up and confirm that the top is touching as well. Um, so now I know my timing is correct. And um, this is an important step. I, I can't stress this enough because one of the things that we see at the shop with guys who do their own tuning is they'll come in and they'll be having trouble paper tearing. The first thing we look at is cam timing. Is the cam timing correct? And a lot of times we'll find it's not. Fix that cam timing, boom, that fixes tuning problems right away. A lot of times, not always, but many times we see that um, folks don't check that cam timing to make sure that the cams are rotating identically. Now, what happens if you add one twist and then you went you know, say one twist is too far so now your bottom is hitting too fast so what i like to do is there are two things that i can do there since i added a full twist if i want to i could take a half twist out or what i think i would do is i would just go to the bottom cam and add a half twist there Generally, I like to only add twists rather than take twists out, even though I added a full twist above what was there. I think I would go to the bottom cam and add a half twist and see if that didn't fix my problem. Okay. So at what point are you adding too many twists to now your, your bow is not in spec anymore? You know, we said our spec episode one by putting twists right. in and out of the cable. So at what point are you going you, too far? You can always come back and check. 
You can always do that to see. I mean, we're talking one and half twists, right? So bingo. 31. That's those are pretty small measurements there. Um, if I'm getting up to, you know, if I'm starting, if I'm, I wouldn't do it, but if I'm adding like three, four five twists, then I would be worried about that. Um, however, it's possible, you know, that maybe your cable was just twisted out, you know, for whatever reason, again, probably putting on new strings. When you get a new set of strings, the manufacturer is going to put a little device in there so that you can't untwist them. However, once you, it's usually a paper clip. Usually if you take that paper clip off and let's say you drop it on the floor or something, you pick it up and a bunch of twists come out of it. That can happen. And so that can greatly affect your cam timing. You have to get that cam timing correct. Once you get the cam timing correct, then if you go back and check your axle to axle, now you know you can take matching twists out of your cables. I'm assuming that you're going to be making it too short. So if you, if you know, if I have to put a bunch of twists in a cable uh, to get the cam timing correct, and I go back and measure my axle to axle, and I see that it's too short. Well, now I can be calculated about it. I can take two twists out of the bottom, two twists out of the top to yeah. get that back into spec. Now, do you do anything differently on, on timing if you're looking at a bow with a yoke in it? If I'm working with a bow that has yokes, no, I'm not going to do anything different. You're still going to have one connection to the cam on each cam. I'm going to work with those. Gotcha. I'm, I'm not really playing with the yokes until I get into paper tuning and affecting cam length. That's the only time I'm messing with yokes. All right. So you just said a key word and we're going to dive into maybe a bit of a rabbit hole. Explain cam lean. And, you know, a lot of guys see somebody else shooting like, oh, dude, that cam lean's horrible. Um, and the other, you know, the person might be like, I don't even know what you're talking about. So. If they've done all of these things and, and everything is lining up the way it's supposed to be, what should the cam lean be doing? How, how should the cam be leaning? So the cam generally should be vertical. And especially on most of the bows today, uh, the way that they're designed and the way that the cables are designed to work, your cam is going to be vertical. When you start getting visible cam lane, that's not always a good thing. <laughs> yeah. That oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes that can be a problem. Ideally, the cam should be vertical. So what we're doing with cam lane and today, um, that's going to be with bows that have yokes, uh, basically is where you're affecting cam lane primarily. Many of the bows today now, including uh, the bear persist, you've got spacers in here in between the uh, cam and the limb tip. So what you're going to do in paper tunings, there are no yokes on here. So you can't, um, what yokes do is they connect on the outside here. Actually, I have the Alaskan XT here. So this bow has yokes. 
So if I am going, once I'm paper tuning, if I want to clean up a tear, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put twists into one of these yokes. And let's say I put one twist in here. I'm going to take one twist out of this side. So you're not going to add, you're not technically adding or subtracting twists. You're just keeping them equal. Um, you know, as I said, add one here, take one out there. And what that does is it affects these forks. It's going to affect these limbs so that your cam, you know, for lack of a better term, you're moving the cam this way. Yeah. We're not talking huge amounts there. If you're looking from the back and this cam is sitting like that, that's not good. Because <laughs> what's going to happen is when you release and that rotates, it's going to derail. The string's going to come off the cam. So it's mostly vertical. We're talking about minute adjustments when we say cam lean. You're affecting the cam lean. Uh, Elite's Bose has what they call set technology, where you pivot the pocket of the bow, which basically what you're doing there is you're moving that cam left or right, but you're doing it at the pocket instead of at the limb tip. Um, so we're talking about minute adjustments here. We don't, you don't ever want to see a cam like lean, true leaning hard. <laughs> right. We, we don't want that. Well, and, and you know, I just want to, I want to reiterate because you've said it multiple times. We're talking small adjustments here. Everything, when you're setting up a bow, when you're tuning a bow, everything is small. You don't ever think, you know, an inch or, or yeah. Even half an inch, usually, like like PJ's talked about, it's usually a sixteenth or an eighth of an inch, either direction. You're not talking about five twists in and out. You're talking about half twist, maybe one twist. So, what's going to happen when you try to make those big jumps? Is if PJ would have said, "Oh, that one's sitting first. I need to add four twists into that," he's going to be chasing his tail all over the place. Go one twist at a time. Go half a twist at a time. Because you're going to cause yourself frustration in the long run if you try to make big jumps. Same with, and when we get to the tuning portion, we'll talk right. about that. But if you try to move your rest half an inch to fix a tear, you're going to be tearing the other direction. Then you're going to be chasing your tail back and forth. So small adjustments on everything we do when it comes to these setups. Right. Yeah. So to, to talking about cam lean again, we don't really want to see lean. It's a, it's a term that we use, but that cam should not really lean one way or the other. <laughs> yeah. Um, so now that we have done all of that, we are on to our peep site. Now I do want to talk about, before we talk about how to set a peep site, how to tie in a peep site. Again, starting points can be a frustration for peep sites. So this is my wife's bow and the starting point was a frustration uh, because she was not here. So I just put it in somewhere and then she gets back and I'm way off. And so, uh, you know, so far off to where I can't just slide it up and down. Otherwise I'm going to be affecting uh, the position of that peep site. So how do you start finding a peep site height to put your peep site in? So for me, what I'm going to do, is I want to make sure I have a sight on the bow, first off. That's going to be critical. And what I'm basing it off of is my anchor. So when I put my peep sight in there, what I know is, you know, different bow lengths is going to affect peep position. 
from experience, I know if I start out at about five and a quarter inches from the center of my D loop to the center of my peak height, that's going to get me close. But let's say I don't know that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to draw back my bow, close my eyes, and I'm going to get to my anchor. That's going to be my key. What is your, what's your normal anchor? Where do you anchor the bow? You know, if you draw back and you're up here, that's not, that's not where I anchor. I'm going to anchor right here behind my jawline. That's what's comfortable. So when I come back to full draw, I'm actually going to close my eyes, get my anchor. Okay, this is where I want to hold the bow. And then I'm going to open my eyes. I should be able to see through that peep side. I should be able to see through that peep. If I can't, I need to adjust it to get it to that position. Um, so that's how I would do it if I'm starting from scratch, that I don't know anything. I'm going to have my sight mounted. You know, if it's mounted in the proper position, which, you know, how could you, you can't really mount it in the wrong position. Um, on the bear persist, you've got your two threaded holes here, or you got the pick rail. Peep height, what that's going to do, you know, it doesn't take much up or down, and you can still see your sight. Where peep height is going to come into play is once you start getting to distance. If you want to increase the distance that you're able to shoot with your sight, you're going to raise your peep height. So I'm going to have my sight mounted. You know, this is a very neutral position. I'm not wicked high. I'm not wicked low. I've got it in the center of the Picatinny. It's to my eye, it's centered for all the adjustments that are available. So I'm going to be able to draw back anchor. I should be able to open my eye, see through my peep, and see this scope housing right there. All right, so you brought up a good point. If, if you're working with a slider sight, where? I'm going to set that so I don't know where it's going to be, right? Um, so if I'm working with a slider sight, what hopefully what I'm able to do is I want to be able to have maximum movement down. That's, you know, if you're, sight, if you're starting out and your slider's already all the way down, you're not going to get any distance out of that. So I want to have the slider uh, bar, I want to have that up so I can go all the way down. Well, to do that, I don't want to, my scope's not going to be all the way at the top. I'm going to move that down about to the middle. And we're going to, you can affect all this later. But. I'll have my slider moved up, scope moved down. That's assuming that I have those two different adjustments. You don't always get that with sliders. In which case, you're gonna, you may have to, like if you can't separate the scope from the sliding adjustment, you kinda gotta put it about in the middle. Yeah. About the middle of your bar is where you're gonna wanna have it to see your peep, and then Theoretically, you should still be able to see it if you move your scope up and still see it when you move it down. You can make adjustments as you go forward to say, hey, I'm maxed out at 80 yards. I want to be able to move my sight to 110. Okay, now you're going to have to move your peep height up. But trying to get things in the middle, however you have to do that, 
that's what I'm going to do uh, with my site. With the slider, I'm going to try, um, you know, I like ones where you can separate the scope from the um, vertical bar. I'm going to move the, the vertical bar up. I'm going to bring my scope down about to what would be the middle of that bar. And if I can see through there, I'm probably going to be good. And then you go out and sight in, and then you can make your adjustments from there. Yeah, no, that's what that's a good point. Because I was just going to note that I I set my peep height with my scope at about the sixty yard mark, um, and that's going to I'll still be comfortable at twenty, and I'll still be comfortable at a hundred. Yeah, if you know what that is. It's easier. I'm thinking of somebody who has no idea what 60 yards, right. where that should be, yeah. where 20 yards should be. Um, you know, trying to get things fairly in the center. I mean, you can see that right there where I have this. This is basically in the center of the sight window. It's not high. It's not low. It's about in the middle of the sight window there. So I should be able to see that through my peep site when it's set at the proper height. Um, this is my whitetail max. So this bow's obviously already set up. This is what I've been hunting with for a while now. Um, so like when I go to set up this bow, when I, when I go to tie in my peep site, you know, PJ mentioned his is five and a half. I'm just going to measure real quick um, the distance from that D loop to that peep site. And then when I go to tie a peep site in this one, I don't have to just start from scratch or just guess. Um, and again, that'll be a starting nice. point because there yeah. are different bows. Um, but that's, you know, anytime I go to, or if I change strings, I just want to measure that first, uh, and then jot it down real quick. That way I know where I'm going to yeah. start with my peep side at. So, um, that's what exactly. I just wanted to make note of real quick. Yep. So we're going to come back to our bow press here and most, of uh, bows, let's say a new bow or a new set of strings, you're going to see a piece of thread just like this in some fashion, can look like anything. What this is doing is uh, the string or the bow manufacturers put this in. This is perfectly separating the strands of this string. If this is a 24 strand string, there's going to be 12 in each half. This will be wrapped around 12 of those. So that's the purpose of this. And you want to, you want to make sure you hold on to that till you get your peep sight in so that you know you're putting your peep sight with equal numbers of strands on both sides of the peep. So I'm going to come in there, take the pressure off. I have my peep sight. And now how, so you're going to get a peep sight. It's going to be oriented something of this fashion. And you're going to see a slanted groove on each side. That's where your strands are going to sit in there. And the way you want to orient it is it's going to be low to high. The low side is going to be what you're looking through. The high side is going to be away from you. So that's how you're going to want to position it in the string, that, the, that it's tilted towards you. So when I come in here and separate my strands, see 
set my peep in there. Now I'm just going to come back since I know where I want it to be. That's too high. Now, one of the things that we're going to talk about is how to get this peep so that it's aligned properly. So you could see there, I, I was, my peep site, I set it in there, it was too high. So I could just slide it down, but if I do that, that's going to cause the string to twist. <clears throat> so I'm just going to come in here, move some of the twists, and then replace my peep so that it's still facing forward. And that's a little bit too, too much. Okay. That should be pretty close. And remember, we didn't clamp down on this D-loop. That's going to come into play here. Yeah. That should be closer. Now, here's my test. I just pulled on this to get some tension. You can see my peep sight flipped over. So, simple. Fix that right now. Just flip it the other way. So when I lift up, I've got a little bit of twist uh, because of where I needed it, and we'll fix that. But I raise it up, it's still mainly facing towards me. So I take that out now. I have my safe draw here that we talked about. <clears throat> so as we mentioned, we are here in the video studio. This is a safe draw. This is a basically, it imitates a release, except it cannot fire. So ideally, you know, some folks say, oh, you should never draw a bow back without uh, an arrow in it. Well, at Lancaster Archery, we, especially in our pro shop, you know, we're testing sight or we're testing bow sizes all the time. So we use a safe draw and no arrow. You know, if a bow fails with an arrow in it, now you have a projectile. I know folks are saying if it, if the D loop fails or something without an arrow in it, now I destroyed the bow. That's kind of a pick your poison thing. Do you want to have a projectile or do you want to have a bow that just blows up? Um, so, but what we've seen is, you know, if you tie everything in properly, it's not going to happen. But we don't have a range here. So I'm not going to put an arrow in this bow. Um, if something happens, I would just rather have the bow dry fire. That's, like I said, it's kind of a either or situation. So that's why we do it this way, but come back. I can see that is too low. You see that? Mm -hmm. Got my nose to the string and it is hitting about right there. So what's my fix for that? I can either go back to the press, 
put it in and move it up while working with the twist, but it's not much, so I'm just gonna slide it up. And well, actually, now that I see it do that, I am gonna put it in the press. <laughs> Which I'm actually kind of glad you did that because I get that question um, of like, when do you know, you know to slide it up, when do you know to take it out? If you're fighting the twist of your yeah. string, you need to take it out. Yep. And, you know, once we get it close, we can fix that by twisting the string. So we may have to do that yet here. In other words, let's say everything is set where I want it and the peeps is flipped over like that. Well, I can take the string off and put twists in it to bring that around. Yep. Okay. Still too low. All right, there we go. Now I can see that peep. So obviously we have gone outside of my normal. We are up to six inches. So why would that be? As I mentioned, it was like five and a quarter to five and a half. This is a 31 inch bow. That measurement that I was giving you is off a 34 inch bow. So that string angle is not gonna be as harsh. So with this shorter bow, the string angle is harsher, so it has to go farther away from my eye for it to be, for me to be able to see through it. So that's why we have that basically half inch variation. It's the axle to axle length of the bow. Um, but now I have it right where, I have it where I want it. Um, I'm still gonna, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pre-tie this in. Um, and what I mean by that is all I'm going to do is I'm going to wrap around the peep sight itself. I'm not going to put ties above or below it yet. Um, so by tying it in that way, just wrapping it around, the peep sight can't fly out. But I'm going to leave it like that until I shoot the bow and then see how things feel get my 20 yard sight, is, is my scope where I want it to be or do I want it higher or lower? This way, by not tying it in completely at this point, I can still move that peep to get it where I want it. So one question that I want to go back and ask um, yes. is choosing a peep sight size. How does a person okay. know, rather than just trying them out and seeing what they like, you know, when you roll into a, a Lancaster, there's going to be so many different peep sites, different manufacturers, different materials, different sizes. How do they know which one to even start with? So kind of the general, the um, overarching size, the generic one size fits all size that we're going to use is a quarter inch. 
quarter inch generally works in, in all situations. And then from there, you would adjust. So quarter inch is going to be big for a target archer. So if you, in other words, the more room that you have in your peep sight, the more possibility there is to move your head around and still be able to see your sight. Well, that affects point of impact. However, bow hunters, we're talking about primarily bow hunters here. We need light to get through that peep sight. So if you have one of the really tiny target peeps, yeah, they're super accurate, but in low light situations, you can't see through that peep. So quarter inch is kind of the best of both worlds. It's small enough to give you the precision that you're going to need, and yet it's big enough that it's going to let enough light through to get to your eyes. Now then, people are individuals, people have situations. I don't have the best eyesight, so I may want to go a little bit bigger. Maybe I need more light to come through. Um, so I can go up bigger than a quarter inch. Um, I can go up to five sixteenths. I think there's a seven sixteenths. That's going to be pretty big. Um, uh, that, yeah, that's getting close to a half inch. Seven sixteenths is probably about as big as you're going to get. But you can fine tune from there, but it, like a generic starting point, pretty much when we get a new archer come in, we put a quarter inch in there because that's kind of the, the best of all worlds. Now, I also get the question about peep color, and I don't think the peep color makes a, as much of a difference. Um, what I do, obviously, I shoot flashy, bright colored strings. This is my uh, whitetail max that I've been hunting with, and it's bright neon string bright neon green so what i do is around that peep site i just color my string black just take a sharpie and color that black and what that's going to do is that's going to really help me with peep site acquisition so you know if you're shooting a bright especially like if you're looking at you know the the string on my persist over there that's rainbow neon colors it can create a halo and a blur around that peep site and it can become difficult for peep site acquisition yeah. so pretty much right when i tie that in if I'm shooting a bright string, I just color it with a Sharpie black. Um, and so, you know, it's not necessarily the peep sight color that makes a, a massive difference, in my opinion, but rather it's the string color that's going around the peep that is going to give people difficulties. So I just color that black and, and avoid that kind of Absolutely. blur and that halo around that peep sight. So um, now how do you soft tie this in? How, what, do you, what are you doing to soft tie that in? Okay. All right, so I'm going to go back to my power grip here. Just going to take a length of that. And right here is my peep sight. So it's got a channel. Every peep sight is going to have a channel running down the center of it around the outside. That is specifically for what we're doing. I'm going to do a half hitch on top. Pull that as tight as I can get it. And then I'm going to wrap around again. Come back to the top. I know some folks like to tie one knot on top, one on the bottom. I just do all of mine on the top. It's easier to work with. Get that nice and tight. And now I am going to just finish off with the double hitch there. 
And now I'll show you something here once I burn this down. Burning down, man, stay away from the bowstring. <laughs> so I'm in the middle. So now I have that tied in. So you can see the peep sight is captured there. I have wrapped it around the bowstring. Now, what I can tell you is I'm putting some fairly decent pressure on there and it is not moving. If I really pushed on it, I could get that peep sight to move, which is what I want at this point because I want to be able to still manipulate it if I have to. But it's not so loose in there that it's just going to slide around as I take a shot. Obviously, when that string comes forward, that's a lot of force. If it's just loose in there, it could fly out. It could slide up. It could slide down. I want it to stay in position unless I need to move it. Um, so right now, it is in there. It's tied in that I can't move it with gentle force. A lot of force, yeah, I could get that thing to move. So what are you doing? If you go to start shooting and that peep sight rotates and now it's, you know, halfway around, how do they fix that? Okay. Good question. Because especially with a new bow, you know, they tell you it takes about a hundred shots for new strings, whether it's a new bow or a new set of strings to settle. And what I mean by settle is it's just going to get to that comfortable position. And so this string may end up doing that. Uh, after a hundred shots. So let's just say that it did. So the string ended up there. And so now I want to get it obviously to where it's straight. So I have a couple of, let's run through a couple scenarios here. Let's say the, the string is there, but my D loop So my peep is positioned right, but my D loop is off. So remember, we didn't crank down on this yet. One option is for me to just spin my D loop to get it to match my peep sight. So I've got my D loop to match it. Okay, now problem two, let's say it's still sitting like that. Simple fix, go back to our bow press. Come up here. Now I'm taking my bowstring off. And I'm going to, now what I want to do with the bowstring, with the peep sight is here. So I like to work with the top, with the top end of the bowstring because it's closest to the peep sight. And I only want to put twists into a bowstring. I don't like taking them out. So, to go into the bowstring, I have to turn this way, right? So what I have to do is I just have to keep that rotating until it comes around. And now what I know is when I put this back under tension, it's gonna naturally move that peep sight. So my belief is that if I start right there, I think this peep sight, when I take uh, when I take the tension off the press, I believe it's going to come around. So I'm going to start right there and see what it does. And you can actually test it at this point. 
it looks like it's coming around. So we will take the pressure off. And what do you know? It did come around. But now, actually, this is a better example. We can go back to the peep site came around, my D loop's off. Move the D loop. Spin the D loop. Now my D loop matches my peep. Now I should be ready to go. All right, so now that everything is lined up, and say you've shot this bow 100 times and everything's settled in now, do you go back and cinch that D-loop now so it doesn't move anymore? Well, uh, yeah, not yet at this point. What I'm going to do is I'm going to sight in first because I may still have to move my peep. I don't know that this is the actual final resting place of the peep yet. Now I'm going to shoot to sight in, and I want to see where I need to end up with my bow sight. I might not have to move this peep sight at all, but in case I do, I don't want to cinch this down yet because if I have to slide this down, now we're going to get it out of alignment again. Basically, I'm going to cinch down the D-loop when my bow is ready to shoot. When I have it sighted in for 20 yards, I'm good to go. I know I'm not moving anything. Then I'm going to tighten down that uh, D-loop. So once everything is settled and you know exactly where it's at, how do you tie, how do you finish tying in your peep sight? Okay, let's just assume that I have determined everything is where it needs to be. There are a couple ways to do this, and it is there are several ways. <laughs> and it is one of those questions, it's one of those Ford Chevy questions <laughs> as to who likes to do it what way. Uh, I think I am a simple person, so I just like to keep it simple. So I am going to tie two separate sections. Um, some folks like to just do one um, tie-in section and then wrap it around the peep and keep it going. I just do two sections. For hunting, for my target site, I will do one section because I really don't want that peep site to move. Um, here, this shouldn't move. I can't say I've ever had it move, but it's definitely secure enough kind of added security. It's like having two locks on your door instead of one. So here's how I tie in a peep. I'm gonna start, I've got a section about this long, running this string through my bow string, and then you, there'll be a natural V where the two sections, the two uh, bundles of strand meet. I'm going to go to that point and just a little bit farther, I'm going to pull it in. Now I'm going to take the long end and I'm going to go around in front of my tag end one time right there. Now I'm going to take my tag end, fold it over top, and I'm going to go over the top here. And I'm coiling these. I'm not stacking them directly on top of one another. I'm coiling them, going, moving down towards the peep. So I'm going to go one, 
two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And then I'm going to pull it tight. Okay. Now you can see I have my tag in here. Now I'm going to go in, I'm going to stand up the tag. I wrapped all those other ones on top of the tag. I'm standing it up and pulling it back. Now I'm going to go in front of it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, now, this is where it gets a little bit tricky. It's actually not once you do it a bunch of times, but I'm going to take this end. And I'm going to do what they call back serving. So I have my end. This is my loose end. I'm going to put this on the inside of the bowstring. I'm going to take, basically what I'm doing is making a loop here. You can see I'm impacting the underside of the string making a loop, coming over, and now I just lost, oh, no. <laughs> so, impacting the bottom of the string. So, inside of that, I'm going to wrap my string. One, two, three, four, five. Okay. Taking this tag end, laying it down on top, you can see this end of my string is wrapping this way. So I'm laying my string in front of that. And now when I go down here, basically I'm wrapping here, which is unwrapping here. One, two, three, four, five until I come back to this loop, take that tag in I've been holding, pull that tight. Now, what that did, so what did we do? You can see our tag ends are not on the end of the string, they're more towards the center. So what that did is it trapped them so that they're not on the ends. And so I can take that, Cut both of those, burn them down, and now I'm just going to do the same thing on the bottom. So how much, you know, I counted all those strands. To me, it doesn't really matter how many you do it. What dictates it is the gap created by your peep sight. If this were, if the peep sight were smaller, this gap would be smaller and I wouldn't need that much tie above it. But this peep sight is fairly large, so it makes a fairly big gap. So that's why my tie is as long as it is there. But now I will go so back. how much do you want to Same compress thing? that gap? Because if you were to pull that, you know, you could pull that in or out to, to, decrease, to decrease the gap. Or increase the gap. You could. Now, th that's one of the things. So mine, the way I pull mine tight is they're tight. There are uh, ones I've seen where you can slide this. You can't slide mine. Some people, you can take this and shove it down and compress on this. My bundle does not move. I pull it pretty tight. 
Um, but yeah, how much of, how tight do you want that? Well, that is, you know, you want to make sure that your peep can't move. However, some of those, there are some peep sites out there, especially ones that are aluminum. If you get an aluminum peep site and you make this angle super sharp, you can cut, I've seen it where they will cut the bowstring strands because of the peep site. I don't ever want that. I want it to be come off at a little bit of an angle. And for me, this is close enough. I'm, my peep site's not going to move. Um, so you just want to get it to a point where there's enough compression here by these bundles that your peep sight can't move. Um, but yet you don't want to make it so severe that you're going to start cutting strands, especially with those aluminum peep sights. Yeah. So I'll just do this bottom one. There you have it. Peep so sight got, is tied in. That's not going to move anywhere. So you've got a bow that you are now ready to shoot through paper and start tuning and getting ready to hunt. Guys, I'm an arrow junkie. I love arrows. And I have found a fondness for deer crossing archery. Everybody makes a good arrow. I'm not saying that anybody out there makes a bad arrow. But what really sets deer crossing archery apart is when I call them, I'm going to get, A, the owner on the phone. I'm going to get the guy that's building my arrows on the phone, and they're going to walk me through a complete custom build. They're not shipping me a box of arrows that they ship out to everybody. I'm going to pick my knot colors, my fletching colors, my wrap colors, the fletching configuration I want on the arrows. Not only that, I'm going to walk him through my setup. I'm going to walk him through what I'm looking to get out of the setup. I'm going to tell him total arrow length I want to be hitting, total arrow weight I want to be hitting, total uh, insert, outsert weight I want to be hitting, FOC, and he's going to custom build a set of arrows and send them to me. My arrows aren't going to be best for you. Your arrows aren't going to be best for me. We need custom arrows. Deer Crossing Archery builds those arrows custom for you, and they always perform. Their silencer shaft is my favorite arrow on planet Earth. I've shot 40 plus animals with that arrow it always performs it always blows through the animal i always get great penetration it's a micro diameter shaft they do have a full line of shafts uh, the new rupture arrow is a phenomenal arrow i shot a deer with it this year in missouri i love their arrows guys i would highly encourage you to check out deer crossing archery because you don't have to go to a box store and buy a set of arrows that are just made from the factory. You can get arrows custom made for you that are going to work best for you and your setup. Guys, use code HUNTING101 to get a discount at Deer Crossing Archery. I would highly encourage you to check them out. They are phenomenal. All right, guys. So we have tied our peep side in. We've tied our D-loop in. Everything is timed correctly. So next week, I'll be with Caleb Sorrels from Bear Archery, and we're going to walk you through the paper tuning process, and then we're going to walk you through group tuning, walk-back tuning, every 
kind of tuning method that we might use to make sure our bows are ready. And then we're going to do a final side in, just walk you guys through uh, some practices that we like to do when we're siding in to make sure we're getting the best and the most performance out of our bow. So guys, thank you so much for watching. I hope that this will give you the courage to try to build and put together your own bows at your house. Guys, if you need any of these tools, as you build out a bow, you're going to need a bow press, a drawboard, a vise, some of these accessories, uh, some of these tools to build your bows. Definitely go check out Lancaster Archery. They have every tool you could ever dream of to build your bows at home and do it safely. So go check out Lancaster Archery for all of your bow building tools. But guys, thank you so much for watching. You guys have a fantastic week.